0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary's Quakertown campus. You know, we thought it might be a good idea. If you've never visited us here up in Quakertown before, we thought we'd bring you in here virtually today. And if you kind of call Quakertown your church home, we thought it might be nice to see a familiar setting. You know, Calvary Church is a multi site church. We're one church that exists in multiple locations. And usually, what that means is on Sundays, we exist in our Quakertown and Satterton campuses. But in this season, we exist in so many, many more campuses. In fact, wherever you're joining us, or whatever home campus you're at, we're so grateful that you joined us. And what we've been doing in our home campuses is we've been taking a look at a new series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And in this series, we're taking a look at two books in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians. And these books are actually letters that a man named Paul wrote. You see, Paul would go around to different cities and he would and preach the gospel. He would preach the good news of Jesus. And he would be starting churches or, or visiting churches at these different cities. And then when he was away from them, he would write these letters back and forth. And these letters, some of these letters became the books of the New Testament of our Bible. Now, Corinth is an interesting city that Paul visited. And one of the things that I found interesting is that Paul actually spends more time in Corinth than he does in any of the other cities that he visits, with the exception of Ephesus. Let me explain to you why I find that very cool and very interesting. You see, Corinth had a reputation. It was kind of like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. In fact, the the Greeks used to have uh, a saying that you can Corinthianize something. And that was a, a negative statement. It was actually based off of stereotypes. There was this ancient Greek writer, and his name was Aelian, and what he said was that whenever there was a Corinthian on a stage in a play, he was the stereotypical drunk. Corinth gained this reputation. Uh, It was this place where you could do whatever and, and anything goes, And it earned this reputation, and what I find interesting is that this is exactly where Paul decides to stay for the second longest amount of time in his journeys. This city that has this reputation, this negative stereotype, is where Paul is saying, this is exactly where I belong, and this is exactly the place that the gospel needs to go to. Now, Paul... As he's staying there, we learn that he has this relationship not just in staying there for a long period of time, but he goes and visits it again, but he writes different letters to the church in Corinth. In fact, even though this is called 1 Corinthians, it's not the first letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. In chapter five, we learn that he had written another letter. And there's this dialogue, this conversation that goes back and forth between the people of Corinth between the Corinthians and Paul. And this dialogue involves these questions that the Corinthians have. And these questions are social in nature. They're they're moral in nature. They're ecclesiological in nature. And what happens is, is that Paul's answers all point to the same thing. Paul's answers point to the supremacy of Christ and the centrality of the cross. And what we need to understand is that Paul is entering into a culture that is saying a very different message than the one that he is saying. And what we need to understand is we need to learn a little bit about the ancient Greeks. There was a group of people in ancient Greece, they were called the Sophists. The Sophists, and the word sophist originally just meant wise man. And this kind of evolved, these sophists evolved after a little bit of time, and what what happened was that these sophists were more concerned, they were more concerned about the exhilaration of the argument than they were concerned with providing solutions to a problem. These sophists would go about, and they were the celebrities of their culture, of their city. They would go about for financial gain, and what we needed to understand was that the ancient Greeks valued rhetoric. If you could speak eloquently, if, if you could present your argument in, in a way that was engaging, in a way that they enjoyed listening to, then they valued you. And so these sophists would gain financial gain from that, and their, their whole point was to elevate themselves higher and higher. And Paul enters in, and he decides to be countercultural in his approach with the gospel. And we saw that last week, this church of Corinthians began to argue over which speaker, which gospel sophist, if you will, they followed. They belonged to Paul or Cephas or Apollos. And Paul is like, this is not the way. In fact, Paul humbles himself and lowers himself to the point where he does not make financial gain off of his speaking. He becomes a tent maker. And for Paul, what he needs Everyone, to understand what he's adamant about is that it's not about the speaker, it's about the message. It's about the cross. It needs to remain front and center, it needs to remain in focus. And so today, we're gonna to take a look at two verses in 1 Corinthians, just two verses. That's all we're going to read. But in these two verses, is such a rich and powerful truth. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us or being saved is the power of God. Today, we're going to talk about the centrality of the cross. Last week, you might have heard Charles talk, and he talked about absolutes. He talked about preferences. He talked about convictions. Absolutes are the things that you would die for. Absolutes are the non-negotiables. The cross of Christ is one of those absolutes. And Paul does not want to get in the way of the message of the cross. Paul says that the focus, the central focus, has to be on the cross. John Stott was a theologian. He, he passed away a few years back uh, ago. Uh, John Stott was this Anglican priest and a theologian. And, and I don't agree with everything that John Stott believed, but I found something very interesting that he wrote. John Stott wrote this. Christianity is a rescue religion. It declares that God has taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. This is the main theme of the Bible. This statement actually captures one of the values that you may have heard at Calvary Church, whether it's Charles preaching or myself. And what we have said is that whenever you look at the Bible, whether you look at the narratives of the Old Testament or the books of poetry or or prophecy in the Old Testament, or you look at the letters of Paul in the New Testament or the narratives in the New Testament, wherever you're at in the Bible, it all points to Jesus. The whole point of the story, the climax of the story is Jesus. And so wherever you are at, the whole point of the entire history of humanity is Jesus. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer. But in order to understand that, we need to kind of understand rescued from what? Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but there are times when I might feel like, what do I need to be rescued from? We need to understand that all of humanity was in need of a rescuer, and we need to understand the word reconciliation. Reconciliation is a word that you might hear in church from time to time, and reconciliation implies that there are two parties that are in conflict with each other. Not only are these two parties in conflict with each other, but reconciliation implies that at one point their relationship was whole, that something happened to break apart this relationship, that a separation occurred. Sin was what happened. When sin happened, when we do something that God doesn't want us to do or we don't do what God wants us to do, when we sin, separation occurs and there's a need for reconciliation. And what Paul says in his letters, what Paul says in his letters is that the only way that reconciliation can occur is through Jesus Christ. That reconciliation cannot occur through our own efforts, through our own good deeds, through our our own um, things that we do. Nothing that we do can bring about that reconciliation. That reconciliation can only come through Jesus Christ. It is not something we can earn. It is a gift that we are offered. But that gift came at an incredible cost. And the cost was the cross. The cost was the cross. The message of the cross, the message of the cross details that cost. It details the result of that cost of the cross. You see, where sin brought separation, the cross brought reconciliation. Where sin brought war, the cross brought peace. Where sin brought us before God as his enemies, the cross allows us to come before God as his very children. This is a beautiful message of the cross. And in its message, we learn of the power of the cross. In the message of the cross, we learn of the power of the cross. What's astounding to me in regards to the power of the cross is this, how God chooses to express his power. Again, let's go back to the culture that Paul is in. Let's go back to those sophists that we talked about. The culture that Paul is in is a culture that values people who elevate themselves. It's a culture that values people that just climb and claw their way to the top. This is the the type of person that would be celebrated. This is the type of person to aspire to be, the person who continues to elevate himself. Jesus, fully God and fully man, decides to express God's power by lowering himself by lowering himself in humility. He subjects himself to the ridicule of mankind. He subjects himself to the spit and fist and jeers of humanity. He subjects himself to a despicable death on a cross. This is the power of the cross, and it doesn't make any sense to the people whom Paul is writing to and talking to. For, for the Jews and the Greeks, this, this concept of this suffering death on a cross makes no sense. In fact, as we go on in that verse that we just read, and if you would continue to read the verses in that chapter, Paul begins to talk about the wisdom of God in relationship to the power of cross and how humanity receives that wisdom and counts it foolishness that there are two types of people in the world. There are only two types of people, those who have accepted the gift of Christ, who understand the wisdom and power of the cross, and those who have rejected the gift of Christ and look at the cross as foolishness. It doesn't make sense. How can power be expressed? How can power be expressed through what is apparently Weakness. When I was in high school, my dad told me a story about one of his cousins. It was his cousin, Charlie. Now, Charlie, to his friends and family members, was not just Charlie. Charlie, to his friends and family members, was Charlie Boy. And Charlie Boy was, well, he was a big dude. Uh, He was about 6'2", and let's just say he was big. And my dad was and it is about 5'4", and not as big. And one day, Charlie Boy and my dad are walking down the block, and my dad grew up in the projects of Queensbridge. He was a little bit of a troublemaker. And as they're walking down the block, some of the neighborhood uh, teenagers came out, and they started to make fun of Charlie Boy, and and they began to taunt him, and, and they began to joke about his weight. And my dad began to get so angry. Inside he began to just boil with anger and his, fl- his fists began to, to clench and he wanted to just go and just knock those, those guys out. And he's getting angrier and angrier and, and even more than wanting himself to go and just knock those guys out, he wanted Charlie Boy to go and knock them out because he had seen the punch of Charlie Boy. In fact, Charlie Boy's fist was probably bigger than my dad's head. And he knew that with one punch, Charlie Boy could knock these guys out And he's getting angrier and angrier. But Charlie Boy just keeps walking, quiet, calm, peaceful, and humble. He just keeps walking. And this begins to make my dad angrier. He starts to get less angry at the guys making fun of Charlie Boy and more angry at Charlie Boy for not responding and defending his pride. And we're not really sure. I forgot what Charlie Boy actually said, and I called my dad this week, and he couldn't remember the actual words, but we remember the theme. And basically what happened is, is that Charlie Boy reached over and grabbed my dad's shoulder and said, let it go. Let it go. Leave those guys alone. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And at that time when my dad heard that, It bothered him. He didn't understand what was going on. He was upset with that. But the truth of the matter is this. Charlie Boy knew that there was something worth more than that. Charlie Boy knew that there was something worth more than defending his pride by getting into a fight. You see, Charlie Boy became a Christian before my dad did. And Charlie Boy would actually become one of the most Biggest influences in my dad's life that would ultimately lead him to coming to Jesus. Charlie Boy understood that there was something worth more than simply defending his own pride or fighting back when he was wronged. And because of that, because of that, that message impacted my dad's life so much so that he would tell me that story when I was in high school. That message impacted my life, uh, his life, so much so that he would give his life to Christ, become a pastor, and impact the lives of so many others with the gospel. There's something worth more. Jesus could have at any point called down armies of angels to just wipe out all the people who were making fun of him, to wipe out all the people who were harassing him. Jesus could have at any point just gone on the offensive. But he chooses to express God's power through suffering. He chooses to win the war through humility. And so while it goes against everything in our mind that seems to be 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 the normal thought process while while it goes against everything that we think should be true, the cross calls us to bear unjust suffering. The cross calls us to bear unjust suffering. The cross calls us to bear Overcome evil with good. The cross calls us to love our enemies. This is the power of the cross. And this power needs to be evident in my life. And when I think about that, and when I think about the season that we're in, I ask myself over and over, is that what I'm focusing on? Is the focus of my life the cross? Or am I focusing on things that I shouldn't be focusing on? Am I focusing on things that aren't that important? When it comes to just thinking about the reality of the heart, heartache and pain and angst and, and all of the things that go into the season that we've been in, there's very real hurt in this season. Is my focus on the cross? Are, are the words that I speak reflecting my focus on the cross? Are are the words that I type and post on social media, are they reflecting my focus on the cross? You see, there are very real reasons that people respond on this side of the spectrum to what we're going through. And there are very real reasons that people respond on this side of the spectrum to what we're going through. And regardless of what I feel about this season, when I hear Different people responding to the season that we're in, am I more focused about the words that I would say in response as an argument to prove that I am right? Or do I take the time to focus on the cross and actually listen to the heart of the person who is expressing themselves? Do I wanna win an argument or do I wanna actually care for a person? Where is my focus? Where is my focus? It needs to be on the cross. The centrality of the cross is not just true for the Bible. It needs to be true for my life. And the message of the cross is that God, this great God, this creator of the universe, decided to give up everything and pay the ultimate cost to reconcile with a group of people who rebelled against him, to reconcile with a group of people who rejected him. And he expresses his power through suffering and humility. And when I look at the message of the cross and I look at the power of the cross, I'm only left with a few questions. And these questions revolve around my life and the presence of the cross. When it comes to my life, is the cross present? When it comes to our church, is the cross present? ESPN, they just finished uh, this documentary uh, called The Last Dance. It was on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And full confession, I cannot bring myself to watch it. And here's why. Because I love the New York Knicks. And I lived through those years. When I was 11 and 12 and 13, there's Michael Jordan standing in the way of the Knicks winning a championship over and over and over again, just ripping out my heart. And I'm convinced that because of Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing never got a championship. Why do I want to watch a documentary? For all of you Eagles fans, think back to before the Super Bowl that you just won. Just think back to that a little bit. Would you really have wanted to watch a documentary on the Patriots dynasty, including the games, the game where Donovan McNabb just decided to throw up the game literally at the end? I mean, you don't want to watch that. Who wants to relive that? In fact, I started to watch one of the games, a rebroadcast of where I knew the Bulls were going to win, and I turned the game off early because I didn't want to watch that. I didn't want to watch that. I, I, I didn't want to watch that. And I began to picture in my mind different scenarios and daydream of different scenarios of what would happen if Charles Smith actually dunked the ball or made that layup and didn't try to do something soft, too soft, and he would actually have won that game. Or I come up with these different scenarios. And one of the scenarios that I came up with as I was daydreaming was this. We're in Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. And it's packed. It's packed. There's so many fans in there. The, the atmosphere is electric. There's so much energy in there. You look down to the floor and there by the Knicks logo is John Starks and Patrick Ewing stretching, getting ready to warm up with the rest of the Knicks. And then you look over and there's overrated Michael Jordan and overrated Scottie Pippen with the overrated Chicago Bulls team stretching over there. And it's almost time for tip off. There's just one problem, there's just one problem. Nobody brought a basketball. Nobody brought a basketball. And so I don't care how athletic Michael Jordan is and I don't care how tall Patrick Ewing is. Without a basketball, there's no game. They could run up and down the court all they want. They could even jump around a little bit. But without a basketball, They're just simply going through the motions. We cannot, we cannot be a church that simply goes through the motions. We cannot be a church that simply is happy with the quality of our music or our singing or or the fact that we go out and do nice things in the community or that we have a good reputation or have a great building. And somehow forget the cross. Because if the cross isn't present, we're just going through the motions. We're just going through the motions. Let's be a church where the cross is present. I'm not talking about some physical cross in our building. I'm not talking about a cross that you wear in your jewelry. I'm talking about the life changing result of the cross and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What would happen? What would happen if we would be a church that focuses on the cross and refuses to go through the motions? What would happen if everything we did, no matter where we were at, no matter what setting we were in, was focused on the cross. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Lives would change and this world would not be the same. Let's embrace the message of the cross. Let's learn and be equipped by the power of the cross and let's live out lives with the presence of the cross. Let's be a church where the cross is present. And here's how I want you to do that this week. You see, our desire is to bring the gospel to everyone and anyone. And we desire to do that in both word and deed. And so here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to engage with encouragement. I want you to practice patience. And I want you to lead with love. I want you to engage with encouragement Practice patience and lead with love. When we engage with encouragement, we put aside our critical, proud selves. When we practice patience, we acknowledge that we're not the ones in control, but God is the one who is in control. And when we lead with love, we mirror the cross that is simply drenched in the love God has for us when I walk into a grocery store and someone is rude to me, engage with encouragement, practice patience, lead with love. When I go onto Facebook or Instagram and I read something that just just rubs me the wrong way, engage with encouragement, practice patience, lead with love. When I'm sitting at the table and it's getting late and my son just refuses to do his homework, you know who you are. Engage with encouragement, practice patience, lead with love. No matter what we're facing this week, let's keep the cross in focus. Let's engage with encouragement, practice patience, and lead with love. Because here's the deal contrary to what you may have heard, the church never closed, it never closed. Instead, we just took it to the streets and took it to the home. Let's be the church this week. Let's live it out and focus on the cross and being a clear picture of the message and power of the cross. Engage with encouragement, practice patience, Lead with love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you so much for the fact that you were not okay with us being separate from you. And that you decided to do something about it and you decided to show up in your greatest display of power, a display of suffering, a display of humility, a display that would not be stopped. Lord, fill us with this overwhelming desire to live out the message of the cross, to bring the gospel to those who need it, with our words, and with our actions. Lord, I ask you that while we may not be in building together, you would unite our hearts around the gospel. And that we would be a church in our community to everyone and anyone we come in contact with. Help us to focus on the cross be equipped by the power of the cross and to live our lives with the cross present in everything we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.